The dating game is not a game at all. Finally, a message uh, for those who are not yet married, and maybe you're looking to be married, maybe you would like to be married at some point, maybe you're not, or maybe you're already married, no matter, hopefully this message will be important for each one of us, and there are plenty of scriptures and plenty of scriptural principles that apply uh, from this very, this very lesson and from the scriptures that we'll share with you today. How many of you remember dating? I'm talking about the older people who, you know, been there, done that, okay. You remember the awkwardness? Remember trying to figure out what to talk about and being on your best behavior, trying to be witty but not too silly? Uh, Who remembers your first official date? Who remembers your first official date? Yeah, I'd like to call on some people right now, but I'm... (laughs) How many remembers your first kiss? Oh, it was at the wedding altar, preacher. We didn't kiss. Yeah. <laughs> Spare me. Spare me, all right? So, yeah, there's nothing wrong with that, but I, yeah, just spare me. Uh, how many remember your first love? Huh? How many remember your first breakup and heartbreak? Huh? That's, yeah, those things. All of that and much, much more affect your dating, uh, either for the good or for the bad. What you saw in your own home affects your dating and how you saw your mom and dad respond to each other if your mom and dad were in the home. By the way, we had a, a great lesson yesterday for the men in discipleship and talking about the influence of the father in the home and talking about goal setting in the home. There, You guys who are not married, there's so much available to you today that was not available um, back uh, 40 years ago, 50 years ago. I mean, there's a ton of material. If you want information, let me know. We'll try to hook you up with the right kind of information. But I wish we'd had all of that stuff 50 years ago. I wish uh, we'd had about rearing children and about marriage and about dating and all that's available to you today. But what you see in your own home affects your dating, your mom and your dad. Your relationship with the Lord affects your dating. Your relationship with the church affects your dating. But this is kind of interesting because if you type in dating and the Word of God, you will get little to nothing if you have a computer Bible program. Dating is not the word dating in the English. uh, To my knowledge, it's not even found in the Bible. Uh, so, uh, So what do you do? I did a little bit of research and I came up with some. This is one dads will like. Dads of daughters. Dads of daughters will like this. 1 Corinthians 7, 1. It says here, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. So that's what uh, dads love that one for their daughters. In Proverbs 18, 22, whosoever finds a wife finds a good thing. But then in Job you read, for the thing that I feared has come upon me. So I don't know, that's kind of a mixed message there. There's the story of Isaac and Rebekah. How many remember that story? Uh, So Abraham said to his servant, I want you to go to this far country where I came from. I want you to find a wife for my son, bring her back. And uh, so uh, Rebecca is coming to the well. She gives the servants camels water. And so the servant gave her gold and jewels and nice clothing. And they rode back to Isaac, who met her and married her on the spot. So who's up for an arranged marriage? Let me see your hand. Anybody want an arranged marriage? Oh, yeah, the mom wants to arrange. Yeah, I got that. Okay. Uh, or or maybe, maybe Genesis 28. Uh, that's where Jacob traveled to Pandanaram, uh, east fleeing from his brother, and then it came to pass.
pass when Jacob saw Rachel. This is one of the funniest. I think there's some verses in the Bible that are kind of funny. I'm sorry. Uh, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but I just got to be honest. It came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his, his, brother's, his mother's brother. And Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. So I just think that's funny for some reason. He gave her a kiss and just started bawling. I, I don't know if that's good or bad. I kind of think I know what it was. Uh, and then, in fact, it was for good because Jacob said to Laban, I'd like to marry your daughter. And Laban said, okay, you've got to work for seven years for her. Now, this is true love. So he, he works for seven years. And then on his honeymoon, Laban, you know what Laban did, right? Slipped in the older, not so pretty, is what some Bible scholars say, sister. Now, I'm thinking... Jacob, what does it matter with you? You don't know the difference? What, what, <laughs> what in the world's going on? And so he, next morning, figures out, oh, that's not, that's not Rachel at all. That's Leah. And so, oh, Laban said, oh, you wanted the, the younger sister. Well, you have to marry the first one off first. So you work another seven years, you get, uh, you get uh, Rachel. So uh, he had to work uh, 14 years. Now he has two wives. So uh, these are not the kind of things I would recommend for you in our society uh, to go about things. It, a lot had to do with, you know, watering people's sheep and goats and camels. And, you know, there's not a whole lot of opportunity to do that today. So what in the world can we find principle-wise that would guide dating in this crazy 2018 mixed-up countercultural era, time period, what, what can we go on? What can we bank on as being a remedy? And in all seriousness, the first thing is, you want to be dating, then first of all, be an authentic Christ follower. Be an authentic Christ follower, because if you are not authentic and you're not a Christ follower, you are vulnerable to living in a certain way that is not going to be pleasing to the Lord. And if you're not pleasing to the Lord and walking in the Spirit and walking with God and you start dating, you're liable to make some decisions that are going to haunt you and go with you the rest of your entire life. So make sure you're an authentic Christ follower. In Ephesians 4.22, some specific commands for all of us. Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life. When you come to Christ, things are different. You become a new creature in Christ, a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things become new, and that includes your old character, your old way of figuring out what's the right thing to do. Throw off your sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust, desires, and by deception. Instead, let the Spirit, Holy Spirit, renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature. So he says, it's like changing clothes. Take off the old nature. Put on the old nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So stop telling lies. You don't need to enter into a dating relationship based on untruths. Uh, and I, you know, you hear about these weird dating sites sometimes where People build up who they are and they're not at all. Hallmark has movies like that uh, where you know people show up and they don't recognize each other from their profiles uh, on the, the dating sites. Stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth for we're all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't take anger into a, a relationship, a dating relationship. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry for anger gives a foothold to the devil. And if you're a thief, quit stealing. 
Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to those in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way that you live. If you're bringing sorrow to God's Holy Spirit, if you're a child of God and you're not walking with the Spirit of God, you're bringing sorrow to Him. You're grieving Him. And and you're going to be pretty much on your own in your relationships and remember, Paul says, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. So get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Man, that is a, that is a sack full of principles to put to, to good use and to make sure that you are a, a dating material yourself, to make sure you're an authentic, born again, child of God, walking in the power and the spirit of God. If you're not saved, uh, man, come to Christ and trust Christ as your personal savior. Uh, ask him to forgive you of your sins and come into your life and be your, your master, your Lord, your God. And live by the standards that he has in his book right here. Walk in the power of the Spirit of God. Did you ask God today to, to direct you? Did you even talk to God yet today? Have you sought his, his will for your life today? And implement these character qualities. Because if you haven't done these things in Ephesians chapter 4, you're not ready to date yet. It'll cause you and some other people a lot of grief if you do, we're, we're still wearing our old garments. That's not suitable to partner with anyone else. So work on yourself before finding someone to date. Seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Pray for God's leadership in your dating life. In Psalm 37, 23, the Bible says the Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Now, I want you to know something. God is very interested for you who are single, uh, to date and to find a person that you could establish a, a relationship of marriage with uh, based upon the Word of God. God is very concerned about that. I want you to know something. I wouldn't be able to be in ministry today were it not for a godly wife that God gave to me, brought into my, uh, into my, across my path. Uh, and the fact of the matter is uh, I'm amazed still that she even married me for a whole bunch of reasons. But uh, She's got, I've got the version of our dating experience. She's got a whole different, it's like talking to a different person about a different, but she has a better memory than I do. So uh, I defer to her, but it's amazing that she even married me. But to be in ministry for all these years, to, to be a pastor's wife, to be a mom, to be uh, the, the help meet that she is for me is just amazing. So it is absolutely worth finding who God has for you and making sure that you're walking right so that you will be a blessing so that God can bring that person into your life at the right time. The second point is, is kind of like the other shoe, okay? And that is date only authentic Christ followers. So first of all, work on you because you can't work on other people. You got to work on you. Be a genuine, born again, Christ follower, seeking God's leadership every day of your lives and in every matter of your life. And then date only 
Don't start making excuses. Don't start lowering your standards. Don't start settling for second or third or fourth best. Don't say, and I'm not saying have a list of 100 things and he has to, you know, this guy has to measure up to all these 100 things, otherwise I'm not going to date him because you probably won't ever find anybody if you do that. But I'm talking about find someone who is an authentic Christ follower. They are born again. They claim to be born again. Their lives match up with their profession. In 2 Corinthians 6, 14, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. If you are a child of God, I'm going to tell you something. If you're born again, child of God, you don't, be, you don't need to be dating someone who is not a Christ professor. Because that's what you say, well, I'm not a preacher. I'm just going to date them. I'm not going to marry. You don't ever know who you're going to wind up marrying, tell you the truth. And you may start dating someone thinking it's just, uh, you know, we're just going to have, you know, Coke and or go to a movie or something like that. And you're going to wind up in trouble. So don't team up with those who are unbelievers, Paul said. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? Because we are the temple of God. If you're born again, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He indwells you. And so what fellowship can your temple of the Holy Spirit be with someone who's the temple of an idol? So, so, don't, so be really careful. Date only authentic Christ followers. Paul also said in 1 Corinthians 15, bad company corrupts good character. And in Proverbs eleven twenty, he that walks with wise men shall be wise, but, listen to this, a companion of fools shall be destroyed. I will forever remember Mrs. Miller. Mrs. Miller was my third grade teacher. <laughs> third grade teacher, elementary school, Crete, Illinois. And I remember her saying, Jimmy, I want you to stay after class today when I dismiss her by, and I'm like, Because my parents were the weird kind who thought if I was in trouble at school, I was going to be in trouble at home. My parents never went to the school and said, what what are you doing? You you punished my son, and he he doesn't deserve that. They never came to my side of anything. They were on the side of the principal. They were on the side of the teacher. They were on the side of the adult. And so I, I heard, stay after class, and I'm like, oh, no. And I stayed after class, and Mrs. Miller came over to me, little petite lady, elderly, probably 35, elderly. <laughs> well, I was just a little kid, okay? And, and so, and she said, Jimmy, I, I noticed you've been hanging around with Mark Adams. And I thought, yeah, he's a lot of fun. I didn't say that out loud, but she said, I, I, I want you to know he's trouble, and I don't think you should hang out with him. You say, well, that's not very nice. A companion of fools shall be destroyed. You know, she saved me a lot of trouble. He got into a lot of trouble. And last I heard is um, staying in hiding from authorities uh, and has been for many, many years. A companion of fools will be destroyed. You You can be a godly person, and you start hanging around with ungodly people, and you think you're going to influence them, but more times than not, they will influence you. They will pull you their way. You guys in the military, you, you got, it's a tough thing. It is a tough thing. It's got to be. I, I don't, I've never been. I, I don't know, but I've heard stories about it. And so to be a, 
And you can. You can be a Christ follower. You can be an authentic Christ follower and be in the military. God, give us more of those. We've got some that are high profile, some in our own church who've been high profile, who have made a difference for the cause of Christ, a couple of godly chaplains, uh, other enlisted and officers and so on who love the Lord and serve the Lord. And I thank God for them. But a companion of fools will be destroyed. And you hang around with the wrong crowd and you date the wrong crowd, and you're going to be in trouble. Amos said it this way, can two walk together except they be agreed? I can't tell you the number of times, and Pat will verify this, that we've had good, godly young people whose lives have been turned upside down because they started dating someone who professed to be a Christian, but then that person turned out not, in fact, to be a Christian, or at least their their life was not consistent with their profession and caused a lot of grief and heartache. Is that not true? In, in many, many, and it seems like a lot of times it's, and it's probably just seeming this way to me, but it seems like a lot of times good godly uh, ladies that, young ladies that God gave to us w- would date guys, and then the guys later on would turn out to be real rascals, real problems. Yeah, uh, that's probably, well, whatever. Uh, James has a lot to say about false professions and Wrong alliances in James 2.14. Now, listen closely because I'm going to say some things, and at first some of you are going to say, wait a minute, is he, is he kind of getting heretical here? James 2.14, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions, can that kind of faith save you? You say, preacher, wait a minute, salvation by grace through faith, right? Yep. Plus nothing, minus nothing, right? Right. Uh, we're going to be baptizing at the end of this month. Baptism doesn't save anybody. People who get baptized and have gone through the class and have a desire to join the church will become members of the church. Church membership doesn't save anybody. Going to serve Ronald McDonald once a month and helping those kids and helping their families is a great thing to do. It doesn't save anybody. Tithing and giving offerings to the church, to missionaries, is a wonderful thing. doesn't save anybody. We're saved by grace Through faith, we're saved by what Christ did for us, dying on the cross of Calvary, being buried, and rising again. That's the gospel. That's what saves us. Believing that, accepting that, trusting in that, and oh, for grace to trust you more. That's what saves us. But James says very specific. Did you know that that Martin Luther had the book of James moved to the back of his Bible because he didn't like this because he discovered faith in Romans the, 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 the right that the, we're saved by grace through faith. He discovered that grace alone, sola grace, only grace. But James says, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions, can that kind of faith save you? He goes ahead to explain a little bit more. So he says, you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless, unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. He says, now someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds, but I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? He says, I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, and the key here is saying. Anybody can say they have faith. We have people who are... uh, stolen honor with the military who claimed they were in Vietnam or claimed they were in Desert Storm and, and, and they weren't really and they get found out later on. You can say whatever. 
say, well, I'm a, uh, you can say you have faith, for you believe that there's one God. If you say you have faith simply because you believe there's only one God, listen to this. He says, good for you. Even the demons believe that. Even fallen angels know there's only one God. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without works is useless? Preacher, are you saying we got to have faith and works to save us? No, you got to have faith alone in Jesus Christ to save us. But if you have that kind of faith, works are going to follow along. Faith is the engine that moves us, and the cars that come behind it are the good works. They do not push the train. It is faith that pulls or pushes the train. In James 4.4, he says, You adulterers and adulteresses, know you not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Enemies with God. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Works are important. Works demonstrate that we're born again. Works show to the world. By, by the fruit, the tree will be known if it's a good tree or a bad tree. So in the light of that, beware of immorality traps. The passions of youth are incredibly strong. Paul said in 2 Timothy 2, 22, Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, Charity or love and peace with them that call out on the Lord, call on the Lord out of a pure heart. And a lot of times, and guys, you know what? The the locker room boastings and 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 uh, probably in oh, I know even in business and even in in the military, wherever it is, wherever you might be, the boastings of guys. Listen to what God says about a guy who is immoral and is, has sexual relationships with a, a woman, and he's not married to her. In Proverbs 7, while I was at the window of my house looking through the curtain, I saw some naive young men, and one in particular who lacked common sense. He was crossing the street near the house of an immoral woman. Shouldn't have been there. He was strolling down the path by her house. Shouldn't have been there. It was twilight, bad time. In the evening, as deep darkness fell, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil, by the way. The woman approached him, seductively dressed and sly of heart. Can I say something, ladies? Call me sexist. If you dress in a seductive way, it has an effect on guys. Can I just say that? I mean, can I be honest? I get up here and say, oh, it doesn't bother me. I'd be lying. It does. Doesn't mean you deserve anything to happen. I'm not saying that. I'm saying she was seductively dressed and sly of heart. She was a brash, rebellious type, never content to stay at home. She is often in the streets and markets soliciting at every corner. She threw her arms around him and kissed him, and with a brazen look she said, I've just made my peace offerings and fulfilled my vows. Sounds so godly, doesn't it? So spiritual. I've made my peace offering. I've fulfilled my vows. You're the one I was looking for. Right. So I came out to find you, and here you are. My bed is spread with beautiful blankets with colored sheets of Egyptian linen. I perfume my bed with myrrh and aloes and cinnamon. Come, let us drink our fill of love until the morning. Let's enjoy each other's caresses, for my husband is not at home. He's away on a long trip. 
He has taken a wallet full of money with him and won't return until later this month. So she seduced him with her pretty speech and enticed him with her flattery. Okay, guys, every guy who's ever boasted to you of his sexual conquest, listen to what, she, he, what the Word of God says next. He followed her at once like an ox going to the slaughter. In case you didn't catch it the first time, he says it this way now. He was like a stag caught in a trap, awaiting the arrow that would pierce its heart. He was like a bird flying into a snare. So he's gone from an ox to a stag to a bird, little knowing it would cost him his life. So listen to me, my sons, and pay attention to my words. Don't let your hearts stray toward her. Don't wander down her wayward path, for she has been the ruin of many, many men who have been her victims. Her house is the road to the grave, and in the King James Version, it says hell. Her path, her house is the road to hell. Her bedroom is the den of death. So the next time someone boasts to you of his sexual conquests, ask him this question. Were you like the ox? Or were you like the stag? Or were you like the bird? And he says, they look at you and they go, what? Direct them to Proverbs chapter 7. It's like someone bragging about, I was such a fool the other day. It was amazing. This is a great thing. I, was, I did the dumbest thing in the world. Man, alive. Am I, I'm so happy I did the dumbest thing I could ever do. Because, hey, I, you know what? I, I, I may go to hell for that. You know, this is great. <laughs> what nonsense. Okay, enough on that point. Third point is this. Be friends before your lovers. I love it when couples come for counseling and they say, you know what, we just, we just like each other. We were friends before we, we were friends before we ever, well, first of all, it took her a long time, but I, I got interested first. But, you know, that's another story. Again, that's my version. I'll tell it to you later on if you want to hear about it. But, but be friends before your lovers. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 11, so encourage one another, each other, and build each other up, even as you're already doing. So there are levels of friendship. You know that, right? There, there are acquaintances, and you can have many, many, many of those. Many acquaintances, you recognize people. They're casual friends, and these are people who you can be open with and honest with, and you don't have to worry about them stabbing you in the back and causing you a problem. They're close friends where, where you mutually are beneficial to each other and strengthen each other, and there are intimate friends of which you'll have very, very few, really, Committed, faithful, loyal, available whenever you need them, friends. And the things about intimate friends are this. Those who reject Christ will also reject you. Those who love Christ will love you if you're a lover of the Lord. And you ought to be able to openly discuss your relationships with God and your concerns about, with each other and never, ever ask that person to violate their biblical standards and convictions. Allow God to choose your intimate friends, your closest friends, and in particular, the most intimate friend, 
who is that spouse that God will prepare for you one day. We talked about this yesterday. The development of intimate friendship is this. The, the, the society today so emphasizes the physical, does it not? It's you know sports and, and, and beauty and handsomeness and attractiveness. And so it's all this physical emphasis, even money and cars and houses and all of And so it, that, that's what's emphasized in society. Then a little bit less so, but, but certainly way up there is the mental and emotional development uh, of people. And, you know, you got to get your degrees. You got to have, and, and there's nothing wrong with you. It's good to have degrees, but I'm just saying to, to emphasize the mental part. And then most of the time, nothing about the spiritual or very little about the spiritual. When in reality, we ought to reverse that order entirely. You have children ought to be emphasizing the spiritual aspects and the importance of spiritually walking with the Lord. And secondly, beneath that, because their education and their mental part and emotional part, because the fact of the matter is, if you educate someone highly and they, and they, are, they are profoundly educated, if that's a good way to say it, but they don't know the Lord, they're just educated devils. Seriously. So education makes people smart, but not necessarily wise. There's a difference. So emphasize the spiritual and then the mental and last of all, the physical, not that the physical is unimportant, but you get the right and the proper order there. So be friends, the right kind of friends, before you become lovers. Number four, when should you date? When you're fully aware of the importance and the danger of dating. Song of Solomon 8.4 says, Promise me, O women of Jerusalem, not to awaken love until the time is right. Be careful who you give your heart to and when you give your heart to them. After you've worked out a set of God's dating standards from Scripture along with your parents' help, that's one thing that you need to have. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. I thank God that when I was an eight-year-old boy, I memorized portions of Scripture. My preacher led me to memorize so that they were always there. And in my dating relationships, they were there. And they kept me from things that I otherwise would have gotten involved in if I hadn't had the Word of God in my heart and the Lord in my life. So when should you date? When you're fully aware of the importance and dangers, after you've worked out a set of God's dating standards from Scripture with your parents, and thirdly, only after you've decided you will not violate these standards, even if it means losing dating opportunities. And again, let me say this. If you truly love someone, you will not ask them to violate their scriptural convictions if they're even stronger than yours. Hebrews 13.4 says, Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Last point on this, when to date, uh, ask God to lead in your dating life. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. The door will be open. Everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. To everyone who knocks, the door will be open. God will reveal the right time. Number five, how do we recognize real love? And I'm going to conclude with this, and I'm out of time, but listen closely. 1 Corinthians 13, you can read that and study it for yourself. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels but didn't love someone, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all the knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, if I could just say to the mountain, 
Palomar over here, be moved to the sea. And cast. If I could do that, had such great faith, but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor, even sacrificed my own body, if I were martyred for them, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. So real love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful, proud or rude, does not demand its own ways, is not hearable. It keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and preaching in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, those partial things will become useless. When I was a child, Paul said, I spoke like one, and I thought like one. But when I grew up, I put away childish things, and now we see imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and complete, but then I will know everything completely just as God now knows me completely. Three things will last forever. Are you ready for this? Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Probably 30 years ago, maybe, a man about my age came into my office and he said, Pastor, I've got an unusual request. I want you to pray with me that I can find a wife. It was unusual because I'd already been married several years at that point in time, and, and he was, he was middle-aged and hadn't ever been married. He said, would you pray with me? I said, yeah, I'll pray with you, and I did. And we prayed, and he began actively looking for someone to date and someone to marry. He did meet someone. He dated her. He got married, and it was a disaster. And a couple of years later, he was back in my office and listened to these words. He said, Pastor, do you know what's worse than being lonely? And I said, what? He said, being married to the wrong person. Don't compromise God's convictions to marry someone. Don't compromise principles that God wants in your life in order to have that companionship. If you're not walking with God, you're not ready to date. If you're involved with alcohol and marijuana and physical involvement before marriage, that's going to greatly hurt. But married or not, dating or not, lonely or not, the real question is this. Are you walking with God today? Would you, well, while you're seated, just bow your heads just for a moment. Because that's the question I want to ask you as we get ready to go into communion. The Bible says, let everyone examine their own heart. Are you walking with God? I'm not saying, are you in some awful, horrible sin and you're just living in sin? And I'm just saying, are you walking with God today? Are there things in your life that you've not yet confessed to the Lord? He knows about them. You know about them. Before communion... Why don't you go ahead and say to the Lord, Lord, I ask you to forgive me for that 
for what I did, for what I said, for my thoughts, for my actions. Lord, forgive me and cleanse me. How about if someone comes to your mind that you're bitter against, how about forgiving them right now in your own heart and and committing to God? Next time I see them, I will actually ask for their forgiveness in person. Or I'll go home, make a phone call if they're ways away from here. Or I'll I'll see them this week and I'll, I'll make things right. How about starting with a spiritually clean slate, starting this next week with a clean slate, confessing sins, asking God to forgive us, asking God to restore us to position of walking with him in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. The word says, if we walk in the spirit, we'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You want, you want, to, you want to have the right kind of dating life? Walk in the spirit. The Bible says, there's that, therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. You don't want condemnation. You don't want to have to pay. Walk in the Spirit. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're not born again, you can be born again by praying and asking the Lord to forgive you of your sins and be your Savior. You see, preacher, how do I do that? You can pray something like this. Dear God, I... I know I'm a sinner. And I invite you to pray that if that's your case. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm going to die and stand before you one day. I believe that Jesus Christ is your son. I believe he was crucified. And he was buried. And he rose three days later. So I ask you to be my savior, my personal savior. Forgive me of my sins. Be my Lord and my God. And if you just prayed that prayer and you meant it, then you've become born again as a child of God. But now the other thing is for you who are children of God, who've been saved at some point in the past, are you walking in the Spirit? Are you walking in your own desires and your own lusts? for your own reasons, for your own purposes. Would you commit your life, your dating, every moment as best you can to the Lord? Pray something like this, dear God. I've tried to make my own path too many times. I've tried to go the direction I wanted to go without regard for what you wanted too often. And this morning, I ask you, Lord, to forgive me for that sinfulness. And I trust that the steps of a righteous person are ordered by you. And as best I know how, if you will direct my steps, I will obey you. Forgive me when I didn't. And help me to walk in the Spirit today in your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask you to, if you prayed one of those prayers, to use that connection card to indicate that. There's a place to indicate it on the back. But I'm going to ask that those are going to help with communion to come right now.
And we'll ask everyone not only to examine your own heart and make sure that sins are confessed, but we'll ask you too, when the elements are passed out, to then wait until everyone is served so that we can observe communion together. We believe that Christ instituted what we call the Lord's Supper, communion, and he did so just a short time before he died. And it's a memorial to him. It's a memorial to the Lord. His body was broken. His blood was shed. The picture of the body of Christ is the unleavened bread. Jesus' last pre-night on this earth this way. For I have received of the Lord that which also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And so I'd like for us to give thanks. Dan, would you do that, please?
said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner, he took the cup. symbol of the shed blood of Christ and the Bible tells us without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sins sins could not be remedied could not be taken away nor forgiven were it not for Christ being shedding his being willing to shed his blood and to offer that as an atonement and a covering eternally for our sins Nick would you ask God's blessing on the cup As often as you drink it, do so in remembrance of me, he said. The Bible said before he was arrested in the garden, they left, they sang a hymn and left, went out into the garden. So 
as a symbol of our unity as Christians and of our oneness in him. I ask you to, as much as you can to stand together and to join hands and let's sing, sing thank you Lord for saving my soul. Yeah.